in, I think it was January, February, and I was told, no, you can't do that because the drums are put away for the winter. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? I don't know. He's some academic. I don't know exactly who he does. Um, <laughs> he looks at books and things. He knows a thing yeah, or two. Oh, and then Revelstoke and Tanaha means land of the chickadee. Oh, oh no way. The, the, mis the misquack? I need to uh, do that again, but... Chickadee yeah. has got a really great, great name in Tanaha. Hello, and welcome to Earthy Chats, where we're cross-pollinating ideas in environmental education. We're here to share with you the best environmental education resources from across Canada and chat with their creators, digging in as to why they do this work, how they do it, and what you can do with it. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey Beryl. I'm the Wild Voices Program Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM for short, a member of Canada's non-profit outdoor learning store team, and owner of Stoked on Science, an education company and consultancy where I deliver and design environmental and science programs for K-8 adult across BC. And I'm another one of your hosts, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, a global network of environmental educators that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. As we're looking into moving forward in regards to the school district and in working with Indigenous communities, it's exciting to know that, that the district has committed to, to this and that they are working with our, with our local First Nations in regards to developing curriculum and to supporting staff and um, to, bring, to bring our stories out there, to bring the true stories out there that haven't been taught. Okay, so I'd um, love to welcome you to this edition of Earthy Chats, where we're cross-pollinating ideas in environmental education. Our guest uh, for this edition is Faye O'Neill. Uh, she's from Cranbrook and is a member of the Ackham community in the Tanaha Nation. She is the Aboriginal Education Coordinator for South East School District 5 in the South East Kootenays, and she previously worked in Delta School District as an Aboriginal support worker. She sits on the Ackham Education Committee and Lands Committee and has also been actively engaged in supporting educators across the region by helping connect their programmes and lessons with Indigenous knowledge, perspectives and land-based learning. Uh, is there anything else there, Faye? Uh, firstly, welcome. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, a little nervous, but excited. I like talking to children a lot, but talking to adults is another thing. <laughs> I, I can absolutely relate to that. Um, although they are quite honest and they sort of, you know, they're very direct if, with their feedback with you. Before we go any further, I'd just like to take a moment to acknowledge and honour uh, the traditional four nations uh, who've lived here where I am and in Revelstoke, which is the Sinaiaks, the Tanaha, the Sachemuk and the Silks. Uh, may reconciliation come to them all. And Ian, for you? Yeah, I'm located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. The territory is covered by the Williams Treaty and all for reconciliation and the continuing process that it is. Absolutely. 
I mean, and part of that, um, and part of this podcast, um, we're obviously talking about Aboriginal environmental education uh, specifically in this episode. I'd like to start delving in with with history, really. So, Faye, can you tell us a bit about your personal history, sort of where you grew up, what your culture is, and sort of initially how you identify it and the language we can use best to address you? So I'll start off by saying Kiasukwitlam, which means good morning in Tunaha. So I grew up in the Columbia Valley at the beginning of the headwaters of the, of the Columbia River, and I am one of five children to my parents, Joan and Clifford O'Neill, and I was raised in a non-cultural home, so I wasn't raised with any traditional teachings. My father is non-Indigenous and is of European ancestry, and my mom is a residential school survivor, whereupon her culture, her language, and her customs were stripped away. I have three children that were gifted to me. Um, they're all adults now, and I have one living with me now since COVID. Um, he joined me in December because uh, the place of employment was has been shut down for a year. So, so he's now residing with me until we work our way through this pandemic. My mother was enfranchised when she married my dad. So, um, and her and her children. So, me and my siblings um, gained status through Bill C thirty one. In the 19, around 1983, I think it was, my cultural experiences, I think the first cultural experience I experienced um, growing up was going to a powwow when I was about 11 years old. I do recall my, my grandfather, um, Andrew Michelle, telling us stories about his life, but I don't ever recall him telling us legends or even speaking in Tanaha. And I think maybe that was because my dad was around and, you know, even though my mom's first language was Tanaha, I think he just spoke English to us because it was easier for all of us. Yeah, so my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, she was a residential school survivor too. So she um, she didn't really, even though she was raised by her grandmother, you know, her mom and her stepdad, I don't think he, I don't think she ever had cultural teachings. She knew, she knew some cultural hands-on activities, but she, um, that was never transferred down to my mom. So yeah, so I grew up and um, I grew up just in a regular home in town in a little community. And even though my cousins were on both reserves in this area, uh, in Windermere area, we had interactions with them, but we didn't do anything culturally. And in those days, it wasn't, there wasn't, you really didn't identify as, you didn't want to be identified as Aboriginal. So even though my cousins had cultural teachings in school, I wasn't part of it because we weren't part of the community. So yeah. Interesting. It's quite a complex sort of understanding, right? That you've got family adjacent to you, but you're, you know, not connected in some way, or there's there's this potential divide. Like that's that's something that must take a, a lot of sort of work to to develop. Do you have a relationship with with them now, or your lives have just like everybody's families just doing different things? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I think it. You know, it's really hard to get back into the community if you really haven't been part of the community. And for me, living in Windermere, growing up with a Kiskanuk First Nation down the road and then the Shushwap Nation, which I have relatives on both sides, we played sports with them. So if you were sports-minded and you were a good athlete, we played ball in that with them. And my brother played hockey. And um, my cousins are very well-known um, hockey players and baseball and softball players. They, um, you know, they were very well known, BC Arrows, the Columbia Lake Elks. Um, so we played ball with them and, and played hockey with, uh, my brother played hockey with them. So 
uh, that was the connection to family. Um, so that was one way. And not growing up down here in, on the, in the community that I'm a member of, um, I'm still finding my way through those connections. Moving back, I moved back to the area four years ago and um, decided right away that I would start volunteering and participate, you know, put my name forward for committees. So, you know, so that's what I did just to try to get involved in back into the community. And actually, nobody really even knew who I was. <laughs> they, you know, they, they you didn't just know me because I was, I've been gone for 30 years. So they didn't know me. They knew that my mom had some daughter, you know, had daughters and they didn't, um, I was the missing, I was the missing one. And um, during our, during our research of our genealogy groups and all that, looking over the data that they had, they had me as the youngest daughter, the wrong birth date, all of this. And I said, no, 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 you guys have it wrong. You know, I'm the second oldest, but, but yeah, so I was, I was missing for 30 years. So I've actually basically missed a whole generation of family. So I, I now understand when people say, who are your grandparents? Because <laughs> that connection, I do that now. <laughs> uh. And I don't know the kid's parents. So I have to say, who are your grandparents? But then I, I can connect them through that way. You wait. You bait way back down the the trunk of the tree, and then you yeah. then you can find find the branches from there. That's that's nice. Exactly. I like that. So you you grew up in a in a sort of regular household. Did any of of um, sort of your mum's cultural knowledge and wisdom and that perspective get shared with you um, at all in your like? Did you feel any difference from from the people you were at school with or? Oh, our color of our skin was the difference. I mean, we were, you know, we were, we, we identify, our skin color identifies as um, being of a different race. So there was a lot of racism growing up, a lot of, um, a lot of name calling, bullying. I think we did pretty good in regards <laughs> to uh, mm -hmm. taking care of ourselves. Um, there was a lot of phone calls to my mom, to my mom in regards to us getting into fights with other kids for calling us names. So but, um, you know, I, I think we did okay. I think one of the things that was, um, was my survival through all of that is just participating in sports and having an out. So my mom didn't teach us anything cultural, but my had, I had great aunts in that, that were still, that still alive at that time that we would go out and visit. And because they were residential school survivors, also a lot of, a lot of the mythical stories in that were, weren't told. But they still had a lot of the hands-on activities, like the, like the, you know, how to tan a hide. But it was never ever taught to us. So we, I, I learned along with my siblings, have learned on our own. Um, you had to go dad, and investigate. Yeah, my dad was an. My dad grew, you know, was grew up in the bush. He was a part of, you know, the logging community. He, um, so he was always out in the bush, and so our, those are the things that we learned during um, our lifetime is he gave us those skills those outdoor skills along with girl guides and brownies so yeah that's yeah. awesome um i my mom even though my mom's first language was Kanaha, her first tongue she didn't speak it to us and i do remember my aunt phyllis speaking to Naha to my mom all the time and so i always thought she understood everything that my aunts were saying to her because there was a few of the aunties so mom did confess a while ago that she just nodded her head to say yes she did <laughs> that she she really didn't say, but I'm positive I heard her speak back a few yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and I guess that's it. I think, I don't know if I've been in a couple of situations where 
someone's been speaking another language that I have a few words of and I say a couple of words and then the full barrage comes and you're <laughs> like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. But I don't quite know how to step back from this. So just nod and smile. But I guess at least there was that, there's, there was still that connection. Whether or not all of it was completely absorbed of the sort of understanding, there was still still that relationship there and that's very important yeah no I every time I'd come home and visit or we'd go visit my aunts I you know it was always the question of can you tell us some stories can you tell us can you tell me things and I always got the same thing back it was that a lot of it was lost I mean and that you know and that's what we're finding with our with our culture and that it, that a lot of it has now been lost and we're losing our language speakers and our knowledge holders um, and it, it's devastating, but um, one of the things that we did as the Chinaha community is I know we started recording some of our um, fluent knowledge spe uh, language speakers quite a while ago, and the written language was started in the 70s, so, so we, have, um, have, we have those documented in those archives, so that's helping, and, and um, I'm just trying to do my part in learning some of the language. I try not to speak too much around the elders because they quite, they, my mom even laughs at me when I try to speak it, but I'm getting there. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, I, I feel like with anything, there's like that confidence to, you know, rather than speaking quietly and mumbling, it's like opening your mouth and just sort of going for it. It's, it's quite a big thing to overcome, to speak mm -hmm. a, a language that, that you want to speak, but you don't know it necessarily. That's... It's very important. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to be loud and proud with mistakes, especially when it comes to language. <laughs> I was at an event where our MLA was speaking in Tanaha and he tortured it, but it was okay. At mm -hmm. least he attempted and that was the whole, the whole thing behind it. But um, I was sitting next to Joe Pierre when, um, when he was speaking and, and kind of looked at Joe cause Joe was his teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we just we just you know we just smiled and said yeah that was a good attempt because i can tell you the first time i said anything in tanaha my sister looked at me and said what were you trying to say so but i attempted it so yeah hey there folks this is ian one half of the earthy chats host team i'm just here to let you know about the talking with green teachers podcast produced by green teacher if you don't know who green teacher is we are a non-profit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. This next question is one of my favorites, and I could honestly probably do like a whole podcast just on this, but I'm really interested in knowing about your personal experience and connection to nature and the natural environment. So my personal experience with nature while growing up in the Rocky Mountains, you know, the, the Valley of a Thousand Peaks um, with a lake just, out, you know, just down the road from me. So I, we spent a lot of time in nature and I grew up in the 60s and the 70s where you were kicked outside in the morning and came back at dinner time. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, make, sure you, yeah, make, make sure you have a sandwich with you because... <laughs> you weren't coming back in. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Doors are locked. And that was it. Yeah. Um, so I grew, basically I grew up outside playing in the, you know, 
roaming the valleys and playing on the water and uh, just navigating our ways around around the mountains there. So, um, like I said, my dad spent his you know, spent his life in the valley and in the woods, and he would take us hunting and fishing and exploring. And our summers were explore we explored our, the back woods of our home on horseback. We had horses. So um, my dad was very diligent to make sure that the horses were taken care of first. (laughs) So you got (laughs) up in the morning, you went out and you fed the horses and then came home. So yeah, and camping. I mean, my, you know, all my outdoor skills were taught to me by my dad and brownies and girl guides. Yeah. So, and I believe that my knowledge and my wisdom comes from the land, which I believe that is intergen, you know, that has been put in place to me that's intergenerational. So that, that there's that connection there. And also I feel that spiritual connection to the land. So everywhere as I walk on this land, as I'm exploring, because we never came down to the Cranbrook area very much. We were all, you know, all of our exploring was basically up in, up in the valley there. And, um, just me knowing that every place I step now, my ancestors have stepped there before. So I always feel that connection. And there's certain areas that you go to where you have the connection. So, um, yeah, so I just uh, I just feel that I was fortunate to live in uh, such a beautiful area as a kid. As a teenager and a young adult, it was like, get out of here fast. But when I had my own <laughs> children, I wish I could have brought them back to experience the, the life that I had playing in the, you know, playing on the water and exploring the mountains, you know, so. There's just so much freedom in that ability to just go out after sunrise and then come back right before sunset or after sunset. That's cool too. And I certainly experienced a lot of that growing up in a a semi-rural area. In terms of the connection with space and place and just beings in the natural world in general, how are those described differently between your Tanaka culture and Western culture? Since, since you've, you're at a cross-cultural intersection, you can speak to both perspectives. Yeah, you know, and then not growing up with all of that, um, I, I'm on a learning journey also. Sure. Um, you know, every day I'm learning. I mean, right now I've got multiple books opened in regard and in documents that I find people's thesis on, um, you know, outdoor ed and First Nation Connect and the ways of knowing. So yeah, I just, I'm learning as I'm going and um, being part of CB now and actually helping them with outdoor education. Um, Duncan's always sending me materials to say, can we put this in the Aboriginal and the Indigenous area to purchase? And I'm, you know, so I'm reviewing books. I, you know, I, I think that just the difference is, is that as Aboriginal people, we're connected to the land. Um, there's that, that connectiveness to the land and that everything resides in, a, you know, that continuing circle of life. And in regards to just um, the European perspectives and all that, you know, European Western education has been um, pushed onto us and there has, and there hasn't been a, um, there hasn't been a look, really a look at the indigenous side of it, but now that with new curriculum and with the interest of embedding world's knowledge, uh, indigenous knowledge and that into into the curriculum, I do see that there is that integration happening. Have you gotten a sense of some of the gaps that still exist? And I know it's hard to paint everything with the same brush and different school districts, different school boards, different provinces are unique. But is there anything, at least in your local area, where you still see that there's a pretty sizable gap that needs to be addressed 
with particular indigenous teachings. Yeah, and I and I really like the way you said um, painting us with the same brush because that's one thing um, I've come across is that you know indigenous people in every community, uh, every nation has their own way of yeah. um, acknowledging and uh, their own way of doing things. And um, you know that was something that came came across in an email the other day in regards to um, honoring people and gifting people. And I said, well, we all do it differently, right? Yeah. Um, another thing was that came uh, that uh, an email was, um, you know, when there's spirits in that that are coming to individuals and how do we handle that? I mean, it was like, well, that's a tricky one <laughs> because every, every nation has, you know, and families have their own way of dealing with things like that. So, you know, I really do, do really do think that um, one of the things that we really need to understand is, yes, we are all different in that you can't paint us with the same brush. Are there any particular gaps, at least in your local area, particularly in the educational setting, where you think there's a great opportunity for more Tunaha knowledge to come into the teachings? Oh, and, you know, and that's the one thing. I mean, with the new curriculum that came out, I think that was a great opportunity for embedding and I like to say braiding um, Indigenous content into, into the new curriculum. But the one thing that I think government forgot was the, the, the resources. So mm. if there's anything that we're lacking in this area is the resources especially of the, you know, the local First Nations, you know, my school district is doing, I think is doing a pretty good job, especially for hiring Joe and I, and who are both of Tanaha ancestry to help support um, that process and also to support staff along the way. But we're also, um, you know, creating those partnerships with organizations and, um, and our First Nation communities in regards to providing resources. So we have a school down at Akam here, that's a First Nations school called Akamnik, and um, we work very closely with them because in grade seven, their stu those students are now coming into the public school system. So we're, mm. one of the great things that we're doing right now is that um, those kids, those students that are coming into the public school system, into our middle, middle schools, that language classes are continuing with those students because it's something that they've been doing from K to six. So fantastic. Yeah. And that's one of the great things. That, but the one thing that we're, the other thing we're lacking is we're lacking those language speakers, those teachers to teach the language. Um, and, you know, we're fortunate to, enough to um, utilize the one language speaker out at Akamnik and she comes into the two middle schools right now, only the one because of the COVID restrictions. And she's actually teach, continuing teaching those students that have had that experience before. You know, we work closely with College of the Rockies and utilize them. Um, they've been instrumental in providing workshops and that for us, along with the, um, the school out at Akam. Yeah, the living lot. So we're trying to strengthen those partnerships and, and help get those resources um, so that because schools are actually having a hard time finding resources so they'll have to go to other nations and mm -hmm. you know when it comes to us that these these materials are being taught it's just like well where's the Tanaha's perspective into it the local first nations so um that's been uh that's been pretty hard that's been lacking but it's getting there um but you know, it's going to take some time. The one thing, um, funding is an issue with um, with our communities in here in regards to providing those living, even the living libraries and the um, presenters. I have to say that this this school district is doing 
a, a good job in regards to making sure that those presenters are are coming into the school. So we're we're making sure that we are supporting all all the classes and that in regards to um, the local First Nations. So it's just that continuation of building trust and relationships that is yeah. so important to to maintaining connection and deepening that knowledge. It's that open communication, right? And mm. I always find it interesting when somebody's nervous to talk about something and they bring it up, and I'm going, "But that's it." But we're creating a dialogue, right? We're you're opening it up to talk about it, and once you know, when we start talking about it, then we can keep we can keep moving forward and moving on. So yeah, that you bring me to sort of my next point, which was that in my experience uh, with educators and teachers um there's a, there is a lot of fear there's a lot of fear of saying doing uh behaving in the wrong manner using the wrong language terminology vocabulary is it indigenous in this setting aboriginal here first nations you know i feel like that yeah that that fear blocks people from from connecting and like what would you say to that as somebody who can who's able to sort of cross both sides I, you know what, I use all of the terminology and um, we've had um, conversations with school administration about this. I think it was last year that was one of the things that, maybe not, I can't remember now because of COVID, there's kind of a mm-hmm. year that just kind of disappeared. Um, but <laughs> yeah. we've had that conversation in regards to what terminology do you use? And you know what, I use it all. And okay. um, and it, it's because of the way it, and the way you're using it. So when, you know, when you look at it, Aboriginal people, that blankets all of the Indigenous people across Turtle Island, right? And then when it comes to Indian, you know, the word Indian is still used in the Indian Act. We still have the Indian Act in Canada, yeah. right? So it, there, it's not wrong to use the word Indian when you're referring to the Indian Act. Um, another one of the words is um, Indian down at, across the border and the Americans still use the word Indian and the indigenous people still use Indian because there's Indian reservations. And then, you know, indigenous, I would be, you know, indigenous to the land, native to the land. I, you know, I always say, okay, well, when you're referring to native, I mean, to me, it's referring to those people on the land. First Nation and First Nations, uh, First Nation is that band or that community. So it's that group. First Nations is blank, is all of us indigenous groups across Canada or across Turtle Island. Um, there's no wrong way. It's just how you're using the words. I was at a conference many years ago, and one of the young youth from Northern BC did a video because we had a panel of youth. And he says, "I don't. I can't believe it. I can't remember if it was a guy or a young man or woman." And he and they just said, "You know what? Natives okay. I mean, Indians okay. I'm fine with Indian." So he or she spoke about that about being Indian. I mean, yeah, it was a mistake. Yeah. Must be called Indians, right? Um, uh, somebody was in the wrong spot. <laughs> <laughs> Their geography was off. Yeah, yeah just, off. just a bit. Just a touch, <laughs> you know, a couple of continents. I yeah. mean, I feel like that's it. It's sort of breaking that, that barrier of, yeah. of, like, you know, it is important, you know, that we use language that, that, that respects and, and affords respect to the to the receiver, but I do agree with with you, like in terms of intention, like that that people don't mean to offend. And if the intention is that you're trying to to show care and and, and respect, then that's that's a good place to start. Exactly. 
and ask the question. I've talked about this um, with other people, uh, talking about people with um, differing abilities, that, you know, ask the question. Ask the question that helps us to get to a place where we know how to communicate better with each other, and then we can move forward and, and get over the seemingly awkward part, but there isn't. You just have to go through it. Yeah, and you know, and that when you're talking about the terminology and all of that, you know, do read some books, right? Do I mean, First Nations 101 is a great book in regards to those questions that you may not want to ask, right? Do you get everything tax free? No, we don't, you know. Um, oh, you get your fishing boats free? No, they don't, <laughs> you know. So it's that misconception thing, right? We it's, it's like when we we say, you know, we, we, we make assumptions. Anytime we make assumptions, there's always, it never covers it. So yeah. I think that's a, like you say, go past that, do your research, read. Yeah. All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network or CBEAM. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. I was in Steveston one day with my kids and I think my son must have been, oh, he must have been 11, my oldest child. And we happened to walk into this little store and it was a, it was like a post office cafe thing. And we were walking around Steveston and there were some gentlemen and there's some older gentlemen, European descent. And they were talking about Indians getting things for free. And of course, you know, my ears perk up and I'm, I'm there to purchase something that I needed for, for the house and uh, I'm sitting there going, okay, what is this guy? So finally I turned around and said, you know, that's not true. I'm indigenous and I do not get my fish. They were talking about because of Steveson's a fishing community. They were talking about all the native people there getting things for their boats for free and all of this for free. And he, the one gentleman turned around and said to me, he said, well, then I guess you don't know your rights if you're not, if you have, I said, I pay taxes. I don't get things for free etc etc and he says well I guess you don't know your rights and I and I looked at them and I thought you know what this conversation needs to stop because I'm not going to get anywhere with you um, yeah. you've already had you already have a mindset this is your, the way you're thinking you know what? I'm not wasting any more breath on you so I walked away and my son my oldest son turned around and said why didn't you why didn't you correct him and I said I tried and there's times where you just need to learn to walk away and I walked away from the conversation but it was the first time my son and it ever really question why I didn't challenge this person any further so I mean yeah that's a that's a, a tricky thing yeah do you do you fight every fight or do you work in education and educate the next generation to have an, a, a 
better, more well-rounded viewpoint and, and, and be... I just want to see it integrated. I want it not to be indigenous and, you know, Western. I would love to see a curriculum that where it was... It, well, of course, if we're talking about ecology, we're going to talk about symbiotic relationships and how those animals have been doing it. And here's this beautiful story that tells you how that relationship developed. And I would love for that. That would be pretty cool. Well, I think it's... I. I can see it moving that direction. I re- you know, it's about bringing those two worlds together, right? That integration of the two worlds. And it's about that understanding um, that, you know, we ha- that Indigenous people had a different mindset of education and of science and, the, mm. and teaching their children. And I honestly believe that it is getting there, but it's not going to be my, it's not going to be in my lifetime. I, I can I had to finally realize that, that it probably is not going to be my lifetime that there is, we're going to see changes, especially when you look at the way we look at it, it takes seven generations, right? So my, my seven, you know, my great, 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 great grandfather um, was, he was that seventh, gen- I'm the seventh generation or my children are that seventh generation. And we're still, see- there is change happening. It's just not going to be in 10 years or so through my years of um, working in Aboriginal education, I have seen that we've made maybe five steps forward, but we're taking three steps back. Um, And, but that's okay. Uh, You know, you have to build a, you have to build a thick backbone for that one. And um, you can't take that hard all the time. And, and working with youth and all that, you, you know, there's some things that you do take very personal. And when that door slams in your face, you take a step back you take a breath and then you try to open the door again. And it, and I, I do see it's evolving. Um, it's changing. Um, the school district here in the Kootenays, SD5, is doing a great job with outdoor education. I see teachers teaching it. We're being asked to come in. The problem that we have is that we don't have those um, those presenters that we need to present. I was asked if somebody could come in and do a weekly outdoor um, survival thing with students in the Elk Valley. I don't have the people to do it. And that's the problem. Is, is that something that can be rectified as you go deeper into connecting with the communities? Is that knowledge there and, you know, just needs to be brought out in a way that is you know, respectful? I, I think the knowledge is there. I just think that people, I mean, the people that were brought to my attention to, you know, to, to call, to ask them to come in, they have jobs. So <laughs> yeah. they can't, yes. to, you know, they can't come on a Tuesday more, a Tuesday to do outdoor survival skills with three or four classes, right? They mm-hmm. have their, they have jobs to do. Um, so I think that's one of the things that, and one of the things that we um, struggle with, and I and I would say that's probably every school district. I mean, de- being down on the west coast and working um, out there, we struggled. We actually struggled to get agencies and get those supports for students and families. But yeah, it's it's a struggle. Um, I think we have the people, but they're busy. Yeah, maybe there's a misconception that. People are just sitting there, elders, just sitting there, not doing anything, waiting to share their knowledge, but nobody's asked. But it's yeah. just not the case. You know, it, everybody's busy doing life 
you know, working hard to support themselves. That's that's tricky. I think that, you know, our, our communities are still struggling. And, you know, with COVID now, it's, um, and mental health is uh, playing a big part. And, oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we're struggling. I think, er- well, everybody's struggling with their, with their, their wellness in regards mm-hmm. to this. And just trying to make sure that we're keeping our people safe. Um, you know, my mom is a residential school survivor. She's a re- uh, elders in residence in the school district here. Um, she's elder in residence at Mount Baker Secondary, but she's also part of now our district um, elders group. And um, just making sure that they're safe. So we lost one of our um, elders this summer that was part of that group. And he passed away just of, um, you know, just life complications. And so that's another thing. And then teaching our elders technology so they can go on Zoom meetings. (laughs) Oh, that's tricky, isn't it? It is. (laughs) Anybody that's not grown up with it. And I think one of the things I've experienced when I've wanted potentially to connect is that there are... And it's different for for every group, but there are ways of showing your appreciation, you know, giving gifts to elders in exchange for knowledge, times of the year where in in my communications with this night's elder here, it's, you know, you tell stories when there's snow on the ground. Don't ask me to come and do a summer books talk about things in the summer. That's not when I do things. So there's lots of, of, of layers to make everybody comfortable and and to do it right and so yeah more time yeah so that and that's interesting because I didn't grow up with my culture so I spent 30 years on the west coast and 17 years in the delta school district where I was learning the west coast ways hand drums winter ceremonies longhouse teachings all of that I come back out here I'm trying to put something together a flag raising ceremony and I think it was January, February, and I was told, no, you can't do that because the drums are put away for the winter. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. And by the way, Faye, we don't use hand drums out here. Okay, I have a hand drum. I know West Coast, you know, I can sing West Coast song. It was like, well, no, we're, you know, we have a big drum and that's what we do. And so it was kind of a, a shock to me that I, that I didn't know these things, but then it was like, oh, okay. And so... You're right. Don't come and ask to be told that to me. Don't come to me and ask to do this and this, especially if it's winter season and we're put and the drums are put away. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it, not going to work. It's, it's not a drum. Yeah. So I was, I was, you know, I was saying, yeah, you have to change the date. Oh, okay. okay. Six <laughs> like, months. Right. Okay. Yeah, See you yeah. then. Yeah. So it's about learning, learning the protocols, learning the, um, the cultural teachings and and respecting them right about mm-hmm. gift giving too right joe and i work for the school district i mean honorariums no no thank you because we we are being you know we are working that day i like getting the thank you cards i like mm. getting the thank you cards that's all i need right just knowing when you come into a classroom and the kids say hey Bee, you're back yeah i'm mm. yeah you know, and mm. I woke up this morning to a um, message from one of my former students um, that now lives down in the United States saying, you know, thank you for everything you've done. And it was those in that class, I used to do a class in Delta for, I had a class, pull-up class in every school. And he said, those were, that's the only, uh, only thing I liked in school was your classes. It was about them being able to do and be who they were in those classes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, that's, 
that's that's the legacy right is to share that that love and affection and for then it to cycle back i'm always interested in names of plants and animals and species and i'm a bit of a sucker for names that are based on behavior of a species or habitat i'm less drawn to a name like yellow rumped warbler it's like okay it has yellow on its rump great <laughs> but i'm really interested in pine warbler because okay it only nests in pine trees is there anything instructive in some of the tanaha names for plants and animals there is and, and that's an open question because <laughs> I, I don't know I, I was yeah. actually practicing this morning there is an app that uh, my that i have a cousin by the name of dr chris horsethief and he's um i don't know he's some academic. I don't know exactly what he does. Um, <laughs> he looks at books and things. He knows a thing yeah, or two. He, he talks really good, and I don't understand some some of the stuff uh, he's saying. He's esoteric. Yeah, yeah. And um, he actually developed an app, and I was going to tell you guys about this. And I'm I've, there must be a couple of apps that he has. So it's the Chinaha language app, and this one was app number one. So it gives you the the word in Tanaha, and then you have to yeah you have like five choices of correct the first meaning. So there is things that we that the Tanaha language will give you that reference to. But I'm a beginning learner, so I don't know half of them. So I was doing good on some of these, but there are other ones I'm going okay. I'm not sure what that means. I do know that the one word means cup but I don't know what the verb or the action to uh -huh. that was. So, so there are, I can't remember if it was after Christmas or before Christmas, I was asked to go into a classroom, uh, a classroom and talk about the, um, the Tanaha creation story and about the place names and all that and references. And one of the things I had been reading somebody's uh, thesis and I can't, it was uh, to do with science, um, indigenous science. And, and I remembered in her in her um, research and all that that she was talking about how indigenous people identify like our language and what it means. And there was um, the references to the word. Uh, there were mythical plant people, cultural activity and observation, landscape feature, descriptive and animal. So what I did is I went through our creation story and I picked out all the names that were re the place names that were referred into the story. And then I went into the um, the geography where it was located and the meaning of it, if I could find the meaning and what it referred to. Did it refer to landscape? Did it refer to animal? And so, yeah, so we do have that. Like if you, there's a little, there's a town just up the valley here called Wasa. And Wasa mm -hmm. is a Tanaha word for horsetail rush or reeds. Um, so mm -hmm. I yep. knew that that's a reference to plant, right? We have another place on the way out to Fernie, just before you get to um, Wardner, it's called Mayuk. And Mayuk is actually um, one part of a, it's part of the reserve, our, the Akam Reserve, and it refers to weasel, right? So in the creation yeah. story, there's a reference to May Mayuk joining the war party to chase Iwanik, which was the sea monster. So we have place references. So yeah, so I did go through that and um, just talk, you know, making, helping to make those connections with the students in regards to, yeah, there is, there is meaning to each, there is a meaning to each place and all that. And you know what, some of the meanings have been lost. I couldn't mm -hmm. find any reference to them. Um, I do have an elder that I go to who is one of our language speakers and I'm always asking him questions. So there is, but I don't know it. 
so not all of it. I do know that in the Sinai, it's here that the, the name for Revelstoke means land of the bull trout. Oh, and then Revelstoke in Tanaha means land of the chickadee. Oh, oh no way, the, the, mis, the misquack? I need to do that again, but chickadee yeah. has got a really great, great name in Tanaha. And, you know, the Columbia River is the swift river. And yeah. I just like, you know, standing next to it, I, I, you know, it's it's so descriptive for me of of that. But I do think it's so beautiful to that you've talked about that you know there's mythical, there's animal, there's plant, there's landscape shape, there's topography. There's an attention there. There was everything rather than I like this. It's like rather than egocentric, like the Western mm. way is like we are separate from nature and everything else revolves around us and our needs. To to ecocentric, where you're just one part of the food web and I feel like everything I've read you know like Robin Wall Kimmerer's books um talking about moss and all ecosystems yeah. she you know it's not us and them it's not not humans and the nature we are a part of it they all have equal importance that for me is is like the key learnings that fill my my heart and my brain is everything I read connects me more deeply to my space Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programmes across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programmes for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. I mean, I just finished reading Gathering Moss by Robin Kimner and Mm -hmm. I tell you, I actually have a different perspective of moss. And, Me too. Yeah, and also about the grass outside when um, you know when the companies come in to put the weed killer on it. Now I have a huge yeah. issue with that. Yeah, um, for sure. And I've got this little patch on the north side, siding face of my house, with the grass is is full of moss now. It's about the connection to the land, being like, being grounded. I always, mm. you know, I, I've come. I was in at a um, twenty-four hour drum circle event down on the coast i think we brought five of our students to this um, and it was a bunch of the different school districts getting together and we did this 24-hour event and it was a long 24 hours <laughs> i actually had to have a nap but yeah that's a I remember, <laughs> yeah, and, but i remember um we had a couple of um drummers come in and these guys that were speaking speaking to the students and i remember he just said take your shoes off, take your socks off. Even though we're on the floor, I still want you to be grounded, right? And it's about, and I, that's what I always think about is when I'm not feeling connected is to go get, to go out into nature and be grounded. Um, and you know, I, the other book that I'm reading right now is um, Dr. Gregory, is it Kayate? Kayate? And to look, to look towards the mountain. And that's the other thing. I mean, Dr. Chris Horsey talks about when he needs grounding, he goes to a top of a mountain. So I, you know, that's to me too, when I need the grounding, I go out into nature, I go for a drive and, um, as, and, you know, just doing that reflection and doing, and just thinking of, you know, my people have walked all over this place, everywhere's I step, they step. 
the first time I went down to Missoula, Washington with my sister, I couldn't believe the how big the valley was, right? That, that, you know, that range and down in Montana and just thinking that our people used to walk this and trade. down. Yeah. Yeah. Staggering. Down. It, and, and to have the, the knowledge to stay safe through these what were much less developed, obviously, and wilder and more dangerous landscapes and to just be so at one with it. It's just, it's pretty incredible, really. Yeah, and you know, and then I always look at it is how, what can we do? I mean, it's about when you're out camping and when you're outdoors is now, is always to make sure that nobody knows that you've been there before, right? To clean yeah. up after yourself. Leave no trace. And that's really important, right? Because I mean, I can go out into anywhere is here and I can still see remnants of garbage and people that have left things behind, right? And you can't even can't even walk along a shoreline now without getting cut by um, by glass if you're barefooted, right? So. so to close us there, we kind of touching on that. That's clearly one thing that's important for you to educate with in terms of leave no trace and respecting the environment. Is there anything in Aboriginal education and particularly linked to the environment that you're excited about or looking forward to, or needs feel that still needs work in the in the short term? Well, I think resources is one of it, you know, that needs some work, um, finding more people to come in. I mean, I know where our nation is struggling with that to find those human, I'm mean, find those human um, presenters and resource people that living library. And, and to, towards the environment, some. If COVID's taught us anything, it's about, uh, you know, it's getting us outdoors more and, you oh, know, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it and, really and I has. Think... It, uh, you know, and just getting outdoors and embracing what's around you. Teachers here have been asking, and we just don't have the the time to do everything. You know, Joe is our storyteller in our in our school district, and he's very knowledgeable. He does a lot of things with governance and um, storytelling, so he's he's keeping that part alive. And you know, he learned those from his grandfather, those stories, and his grandmother. And I just try to find those resources that um, staff is looking for. Mm-hmm. And about, you know, we have schools that are requesting um, Tanaha names for different places in their, in their communities and all that. But, you know, just uh, you don't want to put too much on the elders' plates. Mm-hmm. You know, and just little bit by little bit, please, may we share yeah. in this and, and, and give it time. Well, but, you know, time's not... not not the not playing a good part there neither because our elders are getting older right so I mean there's a project I've been working on and it's going on for two years that we're still waiting and I think one of the things is about being patient right but I'm not that type of person I mean Mm, I want to me neither I want to get it done and get it you know and get and I think there's that misconception right of um you know indigenous people you know, that Indian time thing of, you know, <laughs> happens when it happens. And, and I like to say that it will happen when it happens, that when everybody, you know, time, when everyone got there, then that's when the event happened. And I, <laughs> I, I look at things like that. Um, but, mm. you know, being the other side of me, you know, I want to check the things off my checklist, uh, look the things to do and move on to the next, the next task. <laughs> so I'm learning too about being patient. 
Well, I just, you know, want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedule to chat with both of us um, and to share some of this sort of knowledge and, and yeah, just a, for me that felt like a connection, a connection to understanding where we are and where we need to go in one very particular place and then, you know, seeing how we could think about integrating better and, and moving forward and building those relationships Mm -hmm. and you know what it's it's about embracing the truth and reconciliation uh, you know um, calls to action Um, and it's also you know that whole thing of reconciliation and it's also about um, about moving forward and and what is our responsibility and what is our job to move forward you know I was really fortunate last week to listen to um, Dr. Dustin Louie speak at a provincial Indigenous um, roundtable and you know and that's one of the things that he talked about is like now that you know this stuff now that you know the about acknowledgments and about greetings and and all that and you're being that ally what is your what is the next step how do you move beyond it um, and you know the one thing he talked about was mutual respect for all you know so we're actually bringing him into our school district for our next Indigenous professional day and he is going to be talking about um, what's next that mutual respect for all. So I'm really excited about it. Um, so as we're looking into moving forward in regards to the school district and in working with Indigenous communities, it's exciting to know that that the district has committed to to this and that that they are working with our with our local First Nations in regards to developing curriculum and to supporting staff and to bring to bring our stories out there, to bring the true stories out there that haven't been taught. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that and I feel very confident with someone like you putting all this time and effort in that you know and and then utilizing that information sharing it with boards sharing it with as a consultant it you know can can disseminate out into the wider community and and the more people can can access that knowledge and and have some power to make change uh, going forward themselves. Mm-hmm. Well thank you guys. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. You can also visit greenteacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars. And cbean, that's c-b-e-e-n.org for a range of environmental resources, including professional development opportunities, grant information, and green jobs. Lastly, you can visit www.stotonscience.com to chat with me, Jade, about science workshops or educational consulting. Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas and another fun, earthy chat. Yeah, thank, thank you. So you. Much. How do I say thank you in Tanaha? Well, we don't have a word for thank you. Okay. So we do have Pukitsukani is um, I am happy. So that's mm. one of the ways that we um, acknowledge thank you. And then another word that I was taught was Hanukkanukanini. So Hanukkanukanini means I nod my head to you. Yeah.
Um, but I have been hearing more elders saying the Husukni, which um, I believe that's how you say it. I'm just learning, but um, I can say Hanukkanakanini, so that's why I use it. Yes, go with that one. <laughs> yeah, and then, we don't, so, and then when we're finished we, talking, we usually say Tahas, which means done. And then um, for the word for um, later, so we say anwanikit for later. So it's kind of like anwanikit. Anwanikit. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Well, yeah. anwanikit. Anwanikit. Yeah. <laughs> Take care. Yep, be well.